We read this morning from Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. It says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to that one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led the host of of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended above, far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body is joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly and makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Our Heavenly Father, we want to hear that truth We want to understand that truth, and we want to live that truth. Lord, give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart to chase. We pray this in your name. Amen.
All right, pay no attention to that, at least for now. Vince Lombardi was hired to coach the Green Bay Packers. The team the year before he arrived was 1-10, but in his first year as coach, they made it all the way to the championship game, was leading in the fourth quarter before they finally had to give way and they lost the championship game. So there was a great deal of expectation that was in the air when the Green Bay Packers arrived for training the next season. The offseason was done and they were wondering what their coach was going to say to them. And what he said is one of the most famous coaching leadership lines that have ever been said as he gathered that team that had lost the championship game, had gone from 1-10 and ten to losing the championship game. He gathered his team together and said, gentlemen, this is a football went all the way back to the most fundamental pieces that you could do. These guys have said, well, we were, we were in the championship game, but he said, we're going to pretend like you've never understood the game or even been introduced to the game before. This is a football. We're in a funny season here at church. We are actually in the middle of coming off of our first ever off-season as a church. We didn't know that we had off-seasons before. We didn't know that we had these breaks from between when we were meeting. And now that we're coming together, there's a little bit of me that wants to come together and say, Saints, this is a church. And for us to come back together and try to re-understand and re-establish what does it mean to be a church. Despite the wonderful ministry and the years of effective presenting the gospel in this section of this town that our church has, I think that there is a benefit in this season for us to step back and say, this is what church is all about. Now, what I want to do to help us to do that is I want us to take us on a journey for the next several months, and I want us to be thinking about what I'm calling a church story. And really what we're going to do is we have this unique opportunity to take a look at one particular church in history from its birth all the way into its maturity, and the New Testament weaves the story of that particular church so that we can see it over and over and over again. The church is the church that is in Ephesus. So we're going to take a look at the church in Ephesus. Now we have this incredible opportunity to study this church in Ephesus because it appears in the book of Acts three different times. It is the setting from which Paul writes his 1 Corinthians letter and his 2 Corinthians letter. There is a letter called Ephesians in the middle of our New Testament. When he writes his letter to 1 Timothy, he is helping Timothy pastor the church that is in Ephesus. Depending on who you understand and believe the backgrounds of, it is possible the Philippians and Philemon are written from Ephesus. And finally... In the last book of the Bible, there are letters to seven different churches. At the end of the New Testament age, and Ephesus is one of those churches. And so we can see from the beginning of that first century age to the end of that first century age, we can watch and see the development of the church in Ephesus. 
I think it's going to be fascinating as we take a look at this church. I, I wonder about the things that it's going to apply to our church that we can learn about a church story. See, this first century church in Ephesus existed before church buildings, before church staff, before church bulletins, before church media strategies, before church choirs, before church. Uh, church strategies and all of those kinds of things. It just did church at its core most experience. I wonder what we can learn about taking it back all the way to just looking at church at its most core experience. I think one of the things that fascinates me about the age of Ephesus is that this comes in a time in which there wasn't a church And then there was a church. There was a time in the city of Ephesus that there was no gospel preaching point. There was no gathering of believers in Christ. None. A city of 125,000 people, a city that could be as large as 250,000 people, there was no gathering of believers in Christ. And then there was. A church was born and it was created. And the other thing that I'm fascinated by and I love about this church is the people who were made up that church were a group of people who did not know about Jesus. And then they discovered Jesus and Jesus changed their life. It was a gathering of people who had heard about Jesus for the first time ever. It's church. It's at its most basic level. It is a church story for us to take a look at. What I wanted to do this morning is I wanted to take us through, I wanted to take us through and look at the birth of the church in Ephesus. We find that in the book of Acts. But I realized we needed to step back one step further before we could talk about what does it look like for this church to be born in Ephesus. We needed to spend some time and say, what is a church? What is a church? So we can say, well, let's look at the birth of the church there in Ephesus, but what is a church? Fortunately, right in the middle of the letter that Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, he has this great Vince Lombardi, this is a football kind of moment, and he says, this is what a church is. And so this morning, before we even talk about the birth of this church in Ephesus, before we even think about the birth of our church, we're going to talk about this is the makeup of what a church is. Are you ready? Well, I'm going to start anyways, okay? Uh, here we are. The first thing is a church is a deliberately unique calling. Church is a deliberately unique calling. Uh, take a look at verse 1 of chapter 4 here. It says, Therefore, I, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling to which you have been called. Now, there's a real pull on me to say, let's talk about what it means to walk in a manner that's worthy, okay? That, that's really good, and, and I might even mention that in a few minutes. But, but really what I want to get to in this passage is this idea that he talks about walking in a manner worthy of the calling to which you were called. Hear this. What it means to be a church is to be and to have and to experience a unique 
calling to your life. This church is expressed as a calling. Now, what does it mean for a church, a body of believers, to have a calling? There's a couple of things that I want you to think about. I want you to think about that calling in terms of it being personal. There is a calling that is to you. See, somebody calls you on the phone, it's because they have dialed a specific number of phones, or at least they found you in their address book. They have called a specific number of numbers because they wanted to speak to you. And in fact, sometimes when you get someone that calls you that didn't want to speak to you, they just said, I'll talk to anybody. Boy, those folks really get under our skins because they're trying to sell us something. But, but a calling is personal. Calling is an invitation. I, I want you to think about those early disciples. I want you to remember all of those times that Jesus walked up to them, oftentimes when they were in the middle of doing their job and they were in the middle of life, and Jesus walks up to them and says, you, follow me. It was a personal calling. It was a personal invitation. Now, you might be able to reflect on that in your own life. You might be able to reflect on that in your own life in terms of thinking through that time in your life at whatever age, whatever lifespan that it was that you heard the voice of God calling you. And you responded to that call because you heard stirring inside of who you are. There was a connection between what your head understood and what your heart desired. And you heard spiritually that there was the movement of God in your life and you responded. At its core, the church of God is a calling. It is also distinct because when you say calling, it means that there is something that is over here, and then there's something that's over here. And what happens in the calling is that God calls you to leave behind what is over here to become part of what's here. Understand, a church is a deliberately unique calling of people who used to be here, and now they're here. Every believer in Christ has a used to be here, now I'm here story. Now here's what we all have in common. If you are a believer in Christ, then you are here. You are part of the body. You are the church. Now our over here story is very different. For some people over here says there was a time in which I did not even know. Uh, I had heard people use Jesus sometimes as a curse word, but I'd never heard the story of Jesus coming and dying for me on the cross. I didn't really understand that that was personal in my life. And then I discovered that he was, and I moved over here. For others, it wasn't a matter that you hadn't heard. You just hadn't cared. I mean, you could have told the story of Jesus as well as anybody else, but it was for other people. It wasn't for you. Maybe your before story is not so much that you didn't know or that you didn't care, but you didn't even like it. Your life was busy chasing as many things to the opposite of the things of God as you possibly could. All of our before stories look a little bit different but the distinction is, is that at some point in time, there is a specific, distinct calling that moves you from where you were 
to who you are in Christ. Now, we have used this language here at church before, and I'll use it again. One of the things that we want to do is that we want to have as wide of a church family as we possibly can. The way I describe it is if you drive by slow on Fagan, look over in this direction and see the church over there and say, boy, I'd like to go to church there sometime, then we can be your church family. If you drive by there and say, boy, if I ever had a problem and I needed something, I think that would be my church. We want to be your church family. If someone is a cousin of a cousin of a cousin of yours, and this is the only church that they know, we want to have a sense that you are our church family. We want to be as wide open as we possibly can. That's what it means to be church family. You know someone in this church. You want to be connected to this church. If you're going to pick a church, we're going to be it. We want to have as wide of a church family as we possibly can. But I want you to understand that there also is this unique, deliberate calling to be part of the church and to be part of the body. The only people who can be part of the church are people who have a story that says, I used to be there, and now I'm here. And so Paul says, I want you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you were called. Because you used to be over there, and now you're over here. The church is the body of people who have been moved by God from who they used to be on their own to who they are in Christ today. Church family, drive by slow, call us your church. But church, the body, is only for those who have had that transformative experience in Christ where he moved you from who you used to be to who you are in Christ. A church is a deliberately unique calling. I also want you to see in this passage, and boy, I like this, a church is a divinely focused community. A church is a divinely focused community. You know, what's amazing is that (laughs) Paul is the master of reflecting the truth of God that says our doctrine moves into our relationships. And so he says, listen, there is this calling, there's this transformational experience that you have in Christ. He says, now walk in a manner that's worthy of that. And what I want you to know is that he immediately, when he talks about walking in a manner that's worthy of that, He moves immediately into relationships. Look at verse 2. He says, with all humility. Raise your hand if you have humility. Like a lot of humility. Never mind. With all humility. I saw that one hand though. With all humility and gentleness and patience. Bearing with one another in love. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. But I want you to know about the life of the church. That's what we're supposed to look like. Humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love so that we can protect the unity. Boy, isn't that the kind of church that you want to be a part of? Isn't that the kind of church that we ache and experience or that we want to experience so badly? Is that kind of church? 
Listen, it is my prayer that that will be in increasing measure all of the time the marks of this church, that we will be marked by humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity. I want you to notice the buried inside of that. There's that phrase, bearing with one another in love. You know what that means? It ain't always easy. That's bearing with one another. That's the Greek word for putting up with each other's really annoying habits. That's what we have to do sometimes. Is that I'm supposed to... We're supposed to maintain this unity even though so-and-so is one of the most obnoxious people I have ever met inside of my life. And you know who I'm not. <laughs> There's probably somebody on your pew. I don't know. Um, but we're supposed to do that. But, but listen, as much as this unity matters, what you need to notice is that this is not unity of an organization. This is the unity in Christ. You see this there uh, at the end of verse 3. It says, eager to maintain not the unity of the church, not the unity of an organization, but the unity of the Spirit. You see, the church is the body of Christ. Christ isn't schizophrenic. Christ isn't having a battle with himself. Christ isn't having a battle with any of those things. He is fully one. And so one of the reasons why we have to have gentleness and patience and bear with one another is that we are the body of Christ. Hear these words and these descriptors here. It says, there is one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, the Father of all. This is a divinely focused community on one thing. Now what's interesting is that this is a list of a bunch of ones, isn't it? Remember we go through here, one body, one spirit, uh, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father. That sounds like a list of a bunch of different things. But this is like when you go to the eye doctor and they put that big giant cold machine. I think they keep it in the freezer uh, between visits. They put that on there and say, which one's better, this one or this one or this one. And, and when you're looking at all those things, it is a bunch of shadows. And then when they flip the little thing, it snaps into focus, and you see that it's really one thing. When you see this list of one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, what you're seeing, what looks like a bunch of shadows of a list of different things, what you're seeing is that when that focus comes, he snaps into place, it's all one thing. This is a divinely focused community. Now, can we be honest for a moment? Churches aren't perfect. And every once in a while, we can get frustrated by our church. I mean, not here, but other, you, you've, heard, you've got friends that have talked about their church. Hey, you get frustrated by church. And maybe at some point in your past, you were frustrated by your church. And hey, and there's a lot of reasons for those frustrations. But I want to put two in front of you right now, and they're, they're a little heavy, okay? Here are two things 
that cause frustration in the life of a person related to their church. The first one, the church isn't focused like it should be. The church is not about one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. If you have a church that's distracted by other things, chasing after other things, if you have a church that is divided, if you, if you have a church that, that's passionate about things other than this list, then you can find yourself incredibly frustrated and disappointed by your church. Pray for your church. Pray for your pastor. Pray for your staff. Pray for your Sunday school leader. Pray for the person down the pew from you. We want to make sure that this church is divinely focused on Him. Not above all else, but completely on Him. Because we don't want to be a disappointing church because we're out of focus in the place that we're supposed to be in focus. So we don't want to be disappointing. But I'm also going to put to you that it is possible for a person to be disappointed in church because they're asking the church to be something other than this list. They want the church to turn and say, well, I want my church to do a little bit of this, and, and I don't hear my church talk about this, or my church doesn't offer this, or my church isn't doing these kinds of things. And part of the reason why a person, why you might be disappointed in the church is that because what you're asking the church to do is different than what the church was designed to be. And so we get frustrated sometimes. Listen, part of what you want to do is that you want to pray for our church that we will be zeroed in on these things. And then what you want to pray for yourself is that you will be satisfied and engaged and enthusiastic and fed and excited the more you see your church get focused on these things. And that some of the edge pieces, some of the cherries on top. Or maybe you don't like cherries and you want a strawberry. Whatever that edge piece, that those things will become less and less important to you. That if your church is focused on these things, that you will be thrilled about what God is doing in the life of your church. A church is a divinely focused community. Thirdly, a church is a deftly designed instrument. I want you to see here, he talks about the purpose of the church. And this is in the middle of the passage here in verse 13. He says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. But I want you to back up just a verse or two before that. And what I want you to see here is he talks about this idea of Christ descending 
in ascending. That's just a little theological snack that Paul throws in at this moment, talking about the deity of Christ, talking about he descended from heaven and he is ascending back to heaven. And if he is ascending to heaven, that means that he descended from heaven. There's just a little theology that he throws in there. But he says when he came, he distributes gifts. And he begins to list some of those gifts. In verse 11, he says, He gave some to be apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers. Those are some big titles. He says every church has those key leadership roles of an apostle, a prophet, an evangelist, a shepherd, and a teacher. But here's what I want you to notice in verse 12. Those key leadership roles exist in order to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. You see, sometimes we get that mixed up. We think that those key leadership roles are to do the work of the ministry. No, this says those key leadership roles exist so that the saints, those people who had a before story and an after story, so that they are the ones who can do the work of the ministry until we all attain to the immunity of faith. You remember the video that you were supposed to forget about? The, the, the marble that moved from one place to another? It's called a Rube Goldberg machine, and, and people make those. That was a short video that we saw. There, there was one that we watched this week. It was 10 minutes long. They had stuff that went all the way through somebody's house from room to room to room. I don't know how it ended because it was too long for me. But the mechanism here is this is a mechanism that is designed to move that marble from the beginning to the end. I want you to know that the church is designed to move the marble from the beginning to the end, from the place where you begin your walk in Christ to when you become fully mature in the fullness of all that Christ has for your life. The church is a deftly designed instrument to move the marble, the person, from the beginning of their journey in Christ to the end of the journey in Christ. But here's what I want you to know. You are the marble. It is God's design to move you from the beginning of your journey in your faith to the fullness to mature until someone pricks you and it is all Jesus that comes out. You are the marble that's supposed to be moving. But you are also supposed to be every mechanism in the machine that moves the marble along. You see, you are the marble and you are the machine. That's what a church is. It is a machine. It is a mechanism. It is a, a body that's designed to move people along spiritually. Now, I want you to just think for a moment. If you were to describe your spiritual life like you would describe your chronological life, infancy and childhood and adolescence and young adulthood and, and, and peak adulthood and, and parenthood. And, and if you were to describe your spiritual journey, where would you put yourself on that spiritual roadmap? Infancy? Childhood? 
adolescence, young adult, parenthood, peak strength? Where would you put yourself on that journey? And then I guess the other question that I would ask is when was the last time you moved down that journey? You see, sometimes I'm afraid that churches get better at keeping people where they are than moving them down the road spiritually. We're like good caretakers. We'll just help you stay right where you are. When the call is, keep moving. Keep moving. You are the marble and you are the mechanism. Let's think about the now what this morning. Just a handful of questions for you. Earlier in the message, we described the distinction between church family as a person who hangs out here and a person who has shared the experience of Christ through salvation. Maybe you've been church family for a long time, and maybe it's time for you to move from just being a person who hangs out here and to become a person who has responded to that calling that Christ comes. It may be that you have heard that calling of Christ in your life multiple times, but for whatever reason you have put up a wall and said, not now, not today, maybe later, I'm not ready. Maybe you know, there's an idea that's like, well, I, I don't have my life together enough. But there's a calling. It's personal. It's distinct. It's an invitation. It's for you. And maybe today is the day that you're supposed to move from family to church body. In just a few moments, we're going to give you an opportunity to respond. And the second thing that I would just ask you is where are you on the me mechanism that is our church? Not only where are you in terms of where are you in your progress, but when we were to lay out all the pieces that help this church move and function and work, can you identify a place that you are in that mechanism? That, that things happen because of your contribution and your participation? Here's the thing. We're about to start everything fresh. Right now, we, we've got folks doing media, we've got folks on the platform, and we've got folks doing the greeting and cleaning up. All of those things matter. But as our church returns, and we bring back our small groups, and we bring back our age group ministries, then all of a sudden there's going to be more and more places for you to serve. But maybe this is that window of opportunity for you to just take a look at it and say, okay, where am I in this process? Where am I in these mechanisms? What, what is it that I'm bringing and contributing? Maybe in our time of response in just a few minutes, maybe you need to just pull out your phone and, and just kind of make a note or two about this is where I am serving or this is where I want to serve or maybe this is where I think God is leading me to serve. And just kind of make some notes if you want to use a paper and pen that you have with you or make a note on your phone. But just say, I, I'm ready to be part 
of that mechanism that helps move people from birth to maturity in their spiritual life. And then the last piece I would just ask you, are you ready for your next spiritual growth spurt? Are you hungry for what God wants to do next in your life? Because if you are, in just a few moments when we turn this over to you and to God, I would just encourage you, maybe get on your knees and pray right there at your seat. Maybe just get a quiet moment right there. Make that a sacred space for you. And just say, God, I'm ready for what's next. And I'm, I'm hungry to grow. I don't want to be stuck in adolescence. I don't, I don't want to be stuck wherever point in my journey I am. God, I'm, I'm hungry to take the next step. Would you push me, pull me? Whatever it is, I'm ready for what's next. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we want to hear from you. Lord, we don't want to just hear a good story or a good sermon. We want to hear the voice of God. So, Lord, as we make this a sacred space, right where we are, Lord, would you speak to us and would we respond? We pray this in your name. Amen. As Brian leads us, would you make your space an altar? Like I was last week, I'm going to be just the hound in the hallway there. Last week I had folks come and visit with me after each service. But I'll be down that hallway. If I can pray with you, encourage you. If you want to move from family to body, that's where I'll be.